Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Good Farming Podcast with Jim Smalley on SaskAgToday.com. Now, here's your host, Jim Smalley. Hello, Ian. How are you today? I'm good, Jim. Thank you. So, Ian, tell me a little bit about what you see as some of the key issues right now on the farm. I, I, I believe the carbon tax bill that seems to be having some problems in Ottawa is one of the key issues right now. Yeah, I think carbon tax is always an issue that we're, you know, we're looking at all the time when it comes to policy. I think, you know, uh, issues we saw around the livestock sector this year and the, the, the continued drought in the areas of the province that, you know, produce a lot of our livestock is, is an issue we need to keep an eye on. And, and probably costs. I think that's one that's front of mind for producers the last number of years is, is just where are these costs going to end up and, and how fast are we going to see them increase as, as they have over the last couple of years. Your carbon tax, I think you had some interesting numbers. What it takes out of the farm economy was, what, hundreds of millions of dollars? Hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, strictly alone on the rail freight for Saskatchewan producers, you know, is somewhere north of $30 million of carbon tax on rail freight that Saskatchewan producers pay. Rail freight alone? Not to ter- Rail freight alone. That's just one line item. Rail freight alone, $30-plus million straight out of the bottom line of producers. And... You know, agriculture, I find, is one of the only sectors where we absorb every cost of the carbon tax, right? So the railroad doesn't have to absorb that cost. So there's less incentive for them to make any adjustments on how they, you know, on improving their emissions because we pay the bill. Fertilizer production, we pay the bill on the carbon tax on that. All of those carbon taxes roll down and are paid for out of the farmer's pockets. And it's a big hit. And, you know, the passing of Bill C-234, which would give us, you know, an exemption on carbon tax on the heating of barns and, and our grain drying, is just one little aspect where we could get a little bit of a benefit and get a little bit of a break on, the, on all of the carbon tax that we do pay. And you'd like to see some form of financial support for for what farmers do to sequester carbon. The agriculture minister, David Merritt, for Saskatchewan last week, had some very interesting comments. He said, we have the best carbon footprint for crop production in the world. He said, Saskatchewan wheat production is 60% better than the next jurisdiction for carbon footprint. That's for wheat production. It was the same for canola, 60%. He said for peas, it's 90%, and for lentils, 130%. So we certainly have done our effort to try and fight the battle with carbon production. You betcha, and we need our leaders in this country to, to go around the world and explain that and to show people just how we do it here in Saskatchewan. We are the benchmark. Saskatchewan is the benchmark when it comes to crop production. And, and what we do for the environment currently. Can there be things that we can improve? Absolutely. 
There's always things that, you know, farmers can improve when it comes to their environmental footprint. But in the same token, I also think it's important that we that we tell our story and we brag about what we do do here so that it's recognized worldwide that this is this we are the leaders in this. We are the leaders in in you know good agronomic practices that are good for the environment. Another issue I want to pursue with you is the farm portion of the retail store shelf at the food level. I understand now, this is a number I heard years ago, that there's a nickel's loaf of wheat, <laughs> a nickel's worth of wheat in a loaf of bread. Is it worse or better? I, I think it might be a little bit better for the producer. So next week is our AGM in Regina. It's always an exciting time to get our membership together and hear what the issues are at the landscape out at the farm gate. And one thing that we are going to present next week at our AGM is we did a study on the farmer's share of the food dollar. So on a basket of goods that are produced here, canola oil, bread, flour, beef, we have looked at that and analyzed what portion of the grocery store price on the grocery store shelf ends up in the farmer's pocket. And I think, you know, there's some things there that show that the producer has made a little more over the last number of years as we've seen market prices go up. And then, of course, there's some that have showed that there's a little bit less. The one that really stood out to me was the amount of the amount the farmer gets for a bottle of beer, for the barley that's in a bottle of beer. That was the one where the margin is pretty thin for the producer. Yeah, I don't want to ask you to scoop yourself because you've got a report coming out, you know, at the annual meeting. But what were some of the key findings that you can reveal? I think it just, I, at the end of the day, you know, when market prices started to increase, you know, a number of years ago, not, not then, of course, and we saw grocery store inflation, farmers were getting blamed for that. And that's where this came about, was a resolution at our AGM that said, hey, we need to look at what our share is so that the general public understands that, yes, our markets, our prices have gone up for our commodities, but it isn't relative to what we're getting. And I think that'll be the big thing that comes out of that report. Yes, we have seen some increases in what the farmer gets as the commodity prices go up, but it isn't relative to inflation. So I think that's an important key in that, you know, we are only one chink in the supply chain when it comes to grocery stores, and we need to ensure that the public understands that there's other players that are taking a slice out of, that, out of their price they pay at the grocery store. Ian, you farm up near Melford. Tell me a little bit about harvest. How was your harvest this year? Our harvest was good. It was probably average or maybe just right around an average crop for us in in the Tisdale in the northeast. Um, We are sitting, we could have used more rain in the summer. We had a month of July that was really, had zero rain in July. Other than that, you know, conditions were good. Harvest came off, you know, timely and and it went well as far as conditions go there wasn't a lot of grain drying that had to happen up here in the northeast this year which is nice <clears throat> but it uh yeah we're sitting now it's the what the end of november we have no snow or very little snow so i'm i'm hoping we get a blanket of snow here this winter to get our moisture levels back but harvest here in the northeast overall was an average crop or right around there and, and yeah so it ended up being pretty good there are areas of the province that were a lot harder hit than we were yeah, the southwest had another year of drought. I think that's, what, the third year in a row. Up in the northeast, what would be an, a good average crop wheat yield, spring wheat? I think if we can get 60 bushels of spring wheat would be a good crop. 
would be an average crop up here. We're, we're, uh, we can really seem to grow wheat, you know, oat bushels. There's a lot of oats growing up here. We really seem to be able to get, you know, good yields on that stuff. When we get drier, it's, it seems that it kind of affects the canola maybe a little bit more. Yeah, because your country is known for canola, a lot of canola up in the northern part of the Saskatchewan Grain Belt. Yeah, and a lot of oats. I think there's a there's a lot of oats growing up here, and I, you know, and that's done because they're they're shorter in days. The growing season's shorter, so you know we don't have the advantage necessarily of growing lentils or some of those crops that are earlier that they can grow in the south. So we, you know, guys up here put oats in so they can have that early harvest and have those acres off. And and historically, they've been a pretty good return for farmers up here. Yeah, I had a visit with Premier Scott Moe from Shellbrook last week at Agribition. And uh, he told me that, that you know they had uh, decent moisture, but their big problem, and I obviously it would be your problem too, is is the shorter growing season. I, I'm used to down in the south here, 110, 120 frost-free days. That's kind of pushing it. But what what? How many frost-free days would you have? I'd say we're probably closer to 95 to 105 frost-free days up here. So you got to make sure you're managing that when it comes to what you're putting in the ground and the timing of when you get it in. And so that's always in the back of a producer's mind for sure. And so that's why we see some of those shorter, you know, oats, barley, some of that stuff growing up here because it is a shorter season. So it works well for us up here. Tell me a little bit about how you harvest. I, when I talked with Todd Lewis in September, he was using a 50-foot header and doing an interview at the same time. That, uh, how big a header are you using, or how big? How do you combine your crop? So I straight cut most of it. I'm I'm only 35-foot header, so our our land's a little more rolly than what Todd would have in the Regina Plains. But it uh, so then of course that that when you get into that rollier land, the, the wider header, it's more chance of it digging in the dirt and this and that. There are guys up here using 50-foot headers and. And so just try to get the capacity of that combine up and get the efficiency up. 35-foot header is still a lot of, lot of ground to cover. I remember using a 36-foot rod weeder, and trying to handle that in a field is, is quite a challenge. I couldn't imagine using a grain header. Yeah, and then, then, and then there's guys up here running, you know, 8,500-foot drills. You know, the equipment is getting, it's, it's getting big. It's, you know, I, I'm sure my dad would, would shake his head at the size of the equipment we're using now from when he started. Yeah, it's just incredible the, 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 what equipment has done. But look at what you have to pay now for that equipment. It's so high. Yeah, and I think that's a concern for producers. I think, you know, the cost of, you know, million-dollar combines and $800,000 tractors and million-dollar sprayers, the costs are... are getting where it, it gets tough it gets you know it's yeah we've had some good years on the farm and farmers have been able to upgrade but can we sustain you know will the market stay where it is where we can continue to afford these high prices and it's you know you used to see tractors on dealerships lots and you had options and you could go in and buy one and now it's gotten where you if you don't order it you're not getting it so then of course their overhead is less because they don't have a whole bunch of inventory to track and and it's just gotten like that because the costs are so high and it's a it's a concern for producers it, it really is the cost of equipment the cost of parts and the availability of some parts and it, it, it's an ongoing concern for producers and i don't know where we get to that happy medium that 
you know, the dealerships are, you know, are profitable and making money because we need them. We need them in the countryside. So they need to be profitable. And yet the farmer needs to be profitable. What is that balance and, and how do we get there? Right. One question I have for you about grain movement. How is it going right now? I think it's been okay so far. I, I, it's interesting. Last week I had a chat with the railroads and, and, and got some, you know, with CP and got some interesting you know, had a great conversation with them about what things look like. And, and you know, the, the hard part for them, and I'll defend them a little bit here, I'm usually pretty hard on the railroads because they are such a vital part of our supply chain and, and ensuring that we're, a, you know, a reliable trading partner is making sure our freight gets to port. But, you know, grain markets, with them being up and down right now, there is a lot of fluctuation in how much grain moves week to week. It isn't like it's consistent every single week because if you see a little dip in the market farmers aren't going to sell so it is it is it does get difficult for them to manage that but in the same token i think grain movement movement this year probably because of of some drier conditions and maybe a little bit lighter crop i think it's, it's been okay so far yeah i talked with uh, david shednovic with cn rail grain movement he said one concern he had, of course, the labor disruptions this year, but he pointed out new federal labor laws, and it kind of limits, for example, uh, uh, work week can be no more than 60 hours now, and he said those federal labor rules that came out in November now require CN to have a 1,000 more employees for the same work. In other words, no productivity gain. So that's always a concern. Yeah, I think all... I think regulation is probably, you know, when it comes to lots of this stuff, Jim, regulation will be one of the biggest issues facing all of this stuff, whether it's, you know, labor laws for railroads or whether it's, you know, labor issues for them loading at the port or whether it's, you know, the PMRA on getting chemicals registered or whether it's new seed varieties. I think, you know, red tape and regulation really is a, is a big hurdle for agriculture. Ian Boxall, president of APAS. Ian, anything else you want to add? No, I think I just, you know, keep an eye out for our farmer's share of the food dollar that'll be coming out next week during our AGM. You know, I think it's a, it's a interesting piece, interesting read for people to try to understand and, and get their heads wrapped around it, just how, what share does come back to the farm gate. And, and no, I think, you know, really when, when, when agriculture is good, like we've had the last couple of years, the issues are always there, and we're always there working on them. But they aren't as—they aren't—they aren't necessarily at the forefront. So we need to make sure that we're proactive and having a look at what things are going to come up in the, you know, in the future, and what things look like for the year ahead, so we can ensure that we're, you know, lobbying for the right issues as we see things going ahead. But yeah, just watch out for a farmer share of the food dollar. That'll be an interesting report, and let's hope the whole province gets blanketed with snow. So come spring, we got a, a great start. Thank you, Ian. You're listening to the Good Farming Podcast with Jim Smalley on SaskatchewanAgricultureToday.com. We've been talking with the president of APAS. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. You've been listening to the Good Farming Podcast with Jim Smalley on SaskagToday.com, a presentation of Harvard Media. Please like and share so we can get this podcast out to a bigger audience. Join Jim every week for another edition of the Good Farming Podcast.